In many sectors and organizations, leaders face challenges related to ethics and integrity. In change process, many leaders deal with situations of conflicts and reconciliation. How can one be ethical when all ethical rules have broken down? How can you be ethical again after a crisis? It undermines the confidence in the trust. How do you resurrect ethics in that wasteland of trust? In this edition of Do I Have a Choice, I will interview Fanny Dutoit about the profound topics of reconciliation and leadership. Do I Have a Choice? A series of podcasts dedicated to entrepreneurship and technology. Hosted by Pieter Jan van Leingaarde. Mr. Fanny Dutoit, you are the director of the South African Institute of Justice and Reconciliation. You've studied thoroughly on the topic of reconciliation and your institute is involved with conflict and reconciliation processes all over the world. Let me put the first question this way. Do I have a choice when it comes to reconciliation? It seems to be such a big word. It's something for the Gandhis, the Tutus or the Mandelas of of this world, isn't it? Well, uh, Pitian, I would uh, say that uh, if I think back of our uh, country and its history, then when we reached the 1980s we had reached a cul-de-sac mm-hmm. uh, and we you know faced a very bleak prospect of either a civil war or considering really the option of reconciliation mm-hmm. and so very often i think reconciliation is born when other options have been exhausted and mm-hmm. when you realize that there's no way around the fact that some are your fortunes and your aspirations and your future even may in fact be tied up with that of the person that you've fallen out with and that there's really no no um, no uh, alternative but to restore that relationship so reconciliation may sound like a very big word but i think in so many ways every day also in our lives not just in the lives of countries it's a reality we have to face yeah, yeah, yeah. So you say that in certain moments reconciliation is in fact the only way to follow to uh, to to increase uh, quality of life or quality of uh, uh, yeah, uh, society. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I mean, given how closely we live together as people um, that fight one another in many conflict zones around the world. It is astounding that people can think that we should not reconcile. I think the astonishing thing is not that people do reconcile, but it's that people fail to see the need for it. Because in hundreds of ways, let's take you know any of the modern conflict zones, those communities are interdependent in so many ways. They uh, will never be secure if the other one is not secure. They cannot... Uh, procure goods and services unless the other one produces those goods and services they will not be politically accepted if there's not a dispensation that is fair to the other group so we are for our own aspirations fundamentally and also our own welfare we are dependent on the aspirations and welfare of the other that we are fighting and so reconciliation is in my view in the modern world we live in an absolute necessity Clear, clear. Yes, and and Fanny, you are in Cape Town at the moment. Um, you're an African. Can you share a bit? Can you tell us about the South African process of reconciliation? For instance, what were the what were the conditions to make that happen? 
Well, you know, it's it's very easy today. I'm sitting in my office in the Institute for Justice and Reconciliation on a street here in Cape Town opposite our parliament. Mm-hmm. It's hard to imagine that just a few years ago, uh, if I had looked out on the street, not only would the cars have been older and more noisy, but there would have been only white people on these streets mm-hmm. uh, and mostly white men in suits. Whereas today, if I look back, I look out now, I see a kaleidoscope of people of all colors, shapes and sizes, orientations and creeds, all sharing this space. And, you know, all also respecting that building across the street, which is our parliament. So, you know, for me, growing up in this area, it was unimaginable that this could happen, uh, that the all-white community would make way for such a multiracial community. And I think one of the conditions that in fact uh, enabled this was when our political leaders, and here I give huge credit to Nelson Mandela uh, in the first place, but also others on the white community side, just acknowledged one very simple fact. And that is that white people in this country could never prosper Mm -hmm. until black people also prospered. And black people would never be able to prosper unless white people were given a place alongside them. So that very simple fact that we our fortunes and our futures were were depending on one another um i think was the penny that dropped in the 80s and then the the very cautious talks about talks began and eventually um we began to invent platforms that we could actually work together and see if we can get on and and we got on with each other and we worked and when we broke down we came back because we realized there was no alternative until we in fact then um, had redesigned our country. It does not, of course, mean Peter Young that we've solved all our problems. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. anybody who would tell you that South Africa is not a much better place today than 20 years ago, yeah, yeah. you know, um, it probably lives in another, in a, in space somewhere. Yeah, and you can see it on the streets that the, that it's the Rainbow Nation yes, because I so mean, many colors Rainbow on the streets. Yes, our Rainbow Nation has huge problems, and, and the Rainbow Nation sometimes convey the image that we've reached the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and we haven't (laughs) by no stretch of the imagination we have huge inequality we have big sex levels high levels of sexual violence Uh, and even we've recently seen xenophobic attacks on foreigners and and so there's still forms of violence that is present in our community but but there's a strong core of South Africans in the middle ground both black and white we're trying to tackle these massive problems together. And I think while, while, while that core lasts and holds, we have you know, more than a fair chance to solve these problems. Very good. And Fani, um, a, few, um, a few weeks ago, we've collaboratively interviewed some courageous South African leaders like uh, Anki Krog, Tendi Machali Jones and Pumla Gabori Madikezela. Um, I enjoyed it very much to, to, to speak to those people together with you. What, what, what was most striking for you in those interviews? You know, it's interesting. Um, there is a sense, as I said earlier, that South Africans are feeling disappointed at the moment of having let themselves down um, in the first 20 years of democracy that we have not developed as far as we could have done. But having just listened to these voices again, and many of these people played fundamentally important roles during our transition. One is struck by the optimism 
not a naive optimism, mm-hmm. but a kind of quiet hopefulness that uh, that South Africa is still on the road, and that you know that the that the impossible is still possible. Um, and so I got I got a lot of um, a lot of motivation from listening to people like Anki Kroch, Tembim Charlie Jones, Pumla Kabore Madigizela, but also our former president Motlante, Halema Motlante. Um, you know the poet and 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 writer Njabulun de Bele and others, who were really uh, making some important points about seeing the broader picture. Sometimes the road looks very steep, yeah. and uh, in the immediate future it doesn't look so good. But the longer term view uh, is still a positive one for us. Yes, and and finally in Europe we we have a challenge when it comes to living together with uh, with different populations and cultures at the time. We've had a terrible Charlie Hebdo accident. Um, uh, from your perspective, do you believe there's there's hope for our continent? Of course I do, you know. <laughs> But uh, I I would say it's very interesting sometimes hearing that question being asked in Europe from an African perspective, yes, where we think we've got all the problems. Yeah. <laughs> Europe is Europe is fantastic and rich and sorted themselves out and you know look at the european union and everything else and then to realize that actually we um we are moving closer and closer together as africans and europeans uh, our struggles are becoming very similar and um i just hope that uh, i really do hope that europe does not lose faith in its ability to bring together different groups and to live in a union that is cooperative and you know in that sense also a reconciliation project yes but because, because i yeah. think the wisdom at the heart of the european union's project is the same wisdom that's at the heart of the south african project which yes. is that we are interdependent yeah, for yeah, our welfare yeah. on one another and that we therefore should stop uh, competing just for our own interest sake but cooperate and yes and then there will be very difficult moments and the charlie hepto incident accident was was or incident i would sh- should say tragedy was a uh, one of those very difficult moments that that you you've had to face um you know i think that there will be lessons learned from that on both sides of the line and i think that one has to ask the question how does one live together and how does one live together in respectful and meaningful ways that is uh that is really engaging the other person in your midst and um, i think europe also faces the reality now that most uh, islam is part of your future it is a fundamental part of your future mm-hmm. it will never not be there so to find ways to coexist will be uh, not only um, wise but it will be unavoidable it has to happen and so i think with that in mind that you don't have any choice but to do that i think reconciliation assumes a new urgency and meaning yes and there's not not only hope in, in the south african uh, history but uh, you also refer to the european history in which interdependence also plays an important role yes i think so and you know if you think of how far europe has come since the second world war uh, and uh, do you have problems like us you have big problems big structural problems but But there's only way, one way, and that's forward. Uh, it's definitely not backwards. And I think uh, it would be going backwards if one were to uh, look at the challenges today and then become conservative again and, and, and withdraw into your own little interest group and try and fight the world from there. 
the world has moved on and I think we need to face the fact that we are interdependent and that we need to cooperate and not allow the zealots and the fanatics to derail these moments for us. Yes, and, and finally, one, one last question. Um, do you believe that topics like reconciliation, guilt and integrity, that those topics are relevant for entrepreneurs or leaders in commercial organizations? Because they are most often they are associated with, with, um, um, with, with, with themes that, uh, that play a role in, in societies, uh, are very society relevant, but do you think they are also commercial relevant? Well, unless commercial people are not really people and live in a bubble from society, then yes, of course they're relevant because we also bring our political aspirations and our hopes and fears and guilt and whatever other emotion we may have into the commercial space. Mm -hmm. So from that point of view, in the very first place, as people, it, it will be relevant. But I think also within the communities that we're trying to uh, organize um, as business community, with other words, business organizations, these organizations work like human communities. Mm -hmm. And so you will find the breakdown of trust in such an organization as you would find it between two groups fighting one another. You would find... Um, the exploitation of one by the other. Um, yes, organizations have a hierarchy typically and there are decision-making powers vested in the top officials because that's the best and most efficient way to organize, but that does not exclude uh, management and, uh, and everybody beneath them to make a sincere effort at listening to one another and including Um, each other in decision-making processes. Um, you know, it, it's not. Uh, it is also a form of human community, and therefore these things are important. I just want to say one word, if I may, Petian. Yeah, of course, yeah. Because I do think guilt is a is a potentially very destructive emotion. Mm -hmm. um, once acknowledged, I think guilt should be uh, uh, gotten rid of as soon as possible by channeling that into a positive sense of restoration and restoring the damage that was done so mm -hmm. once one has acknowledged that there was wrongdoing uh, there's no use groveling in that guilt i think one should whether you're a citizen of a country or a member of a business organization or indeed a human being in a in a larger community one should overcome your guilt in favor of a positive contribution towards that community Overcoming your guilt. Mr. Fanny Detoit, Director of the South African Institute of Justice and Reconciliation, thank you very much for sharing your ideas and experiences about and with reconciliation and leadership. Goodbye. Goodbye. It was my absolute pleasure. Do I have a choice? A series of podcasts dedicated to entrepreneurship and technology. Hosted by Peter Jan van Leingraden.